Welcome to the Tide Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay. Before we get into today's topic, which I think is going to be a very, very juicy one that a lot of you Hawks fans and basketball fans will enjoy, I wanted to give a quick update on some changes coming to the podcast. This will be the last weekly podcast for the next few months. We will move to doing our podcast on the first Monday of every month for the next few months, especially during this slow time in the sports cycle as the summer months only have one sport going on that we cover, that being Braves baseball. Several reasons for this move, the biggest of which is simply time and the fact that the podcast over the last nine months has not grown significantly. And so I want to put some of the time and attention back into producing content for the blog and the Facebook page that launched this podcast. So there will still be content coming, but I will have more time to write, which is what I do by trade. (laughs) and to put some more attention into digital content and print content. So that will, there'll be more of that coming. And the podcast will not go away, but we will be limiting the amount of podcast content in order to kind of save me some time and to allow some time for the Title Run Sports Network to grow in other ways. So just wanted to make you loyal listeners, and I'm very thankful for you loyal listeners, aware of that. So today's podcast is going to cover a topic that I've wanted to talk about for some time, and I've got some really good data that I've researched that's going to kind of change the way I approach this. I actually initially came up with this idea last summer of analyzing during the Hawks playoff run how the way that NBA teams build championship contenders has changed. As a lot of you NBA fans know, in 2007, the Boston Celtics launched what we kind of referred to as the super team era of NBA basketball, which has been really the last 15 years of teaming up two or three high-level stars, surrounding them with role players, and trying to go win a championship. Boston started it. LeBron James famously countered with the decision that took him to Miami where he started his own super team. The Warriors came along in the mid-2010s, kind of breaking that up with their championship in 2014 on a team that was completely homegrown, and then formed their own super team with the addition of KD in the late 2010s. And now we've seen the NBA apparently go into a phase over the last three years where you've got superstars pairing up, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis and LeBron, Kyrie and Durant, and so on and so forth, where these superstars are pairing up, attempting to win championships. Some of these pairings have been very successful. Some of them haven't. What I've realized is that there's one element missing from a lot of these teams that explains why some of these superstar pairings haven't worked out. So I went back to the last five years looking at the two teams that made the NBA Finals, one from each conference, and what the top of their roster looked like. And the common thread that I found is these three elements. You need an all-NBA player, period and point blank. We'll call that person your superstar because I feel like you can pretty objectively say that if someone's an all-NBA player, one of the 15 best players in the NBA, they are a superstar. So they have to have a superstar, and we'll define that here as an all-NBA player. At least one other all-star player specifically someone that is an all-star level scorer, and then one elite defender, someone that defends at an all-NBA, all-defensive team level. And when I go back through the last five years of NBA Finals teams, there's only two that don't meet that criteria out of the 10. And one of them is kind of with an asterisk. 
So going all the way back to 2018, you had the Warriors and the Cavs meeting in the NBA Finals. And the Warriors had two All-NBA players that year and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. The Cavs had one in LeBron James. The Warriors had an all-defensive team player in Draymond Green. And they had Green and Klay Thompson also as All-Stars. So, again, they had, in this case, two superstars in Curry and Durant. Those are their All-NBA players. An all-league caliber defender in Draymond Green and arguably another one in Thompson, although he did not make the all-defensive team that year. He did make it the following year. So they had two superstars and two elite defenders who also happened to be good enough on offense to be all-stars, particularly in the case in the case of Clay Thompson. And again, that's kind of cheating because they were a super team. For the Cavs, they're the one team on this list that is just a complete anomaly. Other than LeBron James, the rest of that team was terrible. The second leading scorer in the playoffs was Kevin Love, averaging 14 points a game. But also one of the interesting things about that team is that they had a complete roster overhaul middle through the season. Brought in guys like George Hill and Larry Nance Jr. and completely overhauled their roster. So the team that was the 29th best defense during the regular season wasn't really the team they played with in the postseason. So again, they're kind of just an anomaly, as is just about any LeBron James-led team during this point of his career when he was at his peak physically. But they would be the one anomaly on this list. As most of you are aware, the Warriors ended up sweeping the Cavaliers in that series. And the next year, in the 2019 Finals, the Warriors returned to the Finals to be upset by the Toronto Raptors. Warriors dealing with a lot of injuries. Kevin Durant out a lot of the playoffs, popping his Achilles. Klay Thompson tearing his ACL in that series. And the Raptors winning their first NBA championship. From the Warriors' side, they had the same roster. It was Steph Curry and Kevin Durant as the All-NBA All-Star superstars. Draymond Green and Klay Thompson as the All-Defensive team anchors. And then Klay Thompson making the All-Star game. So they had three All-Stars, two All-Defensive team members, and two All-NBA players. So... Again, a super team. For the Raptors, they had an All-NBA player in Kawhi Leonard, an All-Defensive team player in Kawhi Leonard, and then their other All-Star was Kyle Lowry before he went to Miami and got hurt old and chubby. Now, here's the kicker. Pascal Siakam wasn't an All-Star that year, he but he was an All-NBA player the next year, and Siakam won Most Improved Player that year. So by the end of the year, he was playing at an all-star level, even though he was not actually an all-star. And he was recognized the next year as an all-star and all-NBA player. So they, again, had two high-level players. But here is how teams can cheat. When one of your all-NBA or all-star players is an elite two-way player, you can get away with having essentially two stars on your team instead of three. Now, again, in the case of the Raptors, they really did have three because Siakam turned into an all-star level player like by the end of that year. But it's the same formula. You need at least one elite defender and two people that can score at a high level. In 2020, the LeBron James Lakers made it to the NBA Finals against the Jimmy Butler Miami Heat in the bubble. From the Lakers' side, you had LeBron James as the all-NBA player, Anthony Davis as the second all-star and as an all-defensive team member, which we just talked about. For the Heat, you had Jimmy Butler as their All-NBA player, Bam Adebayo as their second All-Star, and also an All-Defensive Team player. And this is what we just talked about. If that's if one of those two stars is an elite two-way player, you can get away with it as long as the rest of your roster is really good. In the case of the Lakers and Heat, they both had really, really good supporting cast players. The Lakers' role players were guys like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Danny Green, Rajon Rondo, Alex Caruso, Cal Kuzma, and Dwight Howard. I mean, those are your role players. 
And the Miami Heat's role players were guys like Jay Crowder, Goran Dragic, a rookie Tyler Hero, Andre Iguodala. So these are really, really high-end role players these guys, people had coming off the benches because they had well-constructed teams. Last year, we got Bucks Suns. We had two-time defending MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo leading the Bucks as their All-NBA superstar. They made a big offseason acquisition that year to add Drew Holiday, who was an all-defensive team player, as was Giannis. And then they also had Chris Middleton, who made the all-star team. And Middleton was their best perimeter scorer. The Suns had Chris Paul as their All-NBA player, Devin Booker as their additional All-Star, and they did not have an All-Defense team player, but Mikhail Bridges just missed making the team in 2021 and did make it in 2022. So even though Bridges did not technically make the All-Defense team, he was an All-League caliber defender. So the Suns technically are the second team out of the last five years that did not have an All-NBA defender on their team, but again, that's kind of with an asterisk. And then this year we have Warriors-Celtics with... Steph Curry for the Warriors making the All-NBA team. Draymond Green making the All-Defense team. And Andrew Wiggins being an All-Star starter. And then for the Celtics, you had Jason Tatum as an All-NBA player. Marcus Smart as an All-NBA defender and the Defensive Player of the Year for the league. And Jalen Brown as an additional All-Star. While he did not make the team this year, he did make it in 2021. So I'm going to count him. So why did I just waste six minutes doing that? I think it's because... When you look at it with this lens, you get a really good context that separates the good teams from the teams that can realistically win it all. So take this filter and apply it to this year's playoffs. Miami and Boston were two teams that meet the criteria that we just talked about of having an All-NBA frontman, a second All-Star caliber scorer, and or another All-NBA level defender. They played each other. They were both really good, but only one can advance. Brooklyn, who Boston absolutely crushed in the playoffs, lacked the impactful defenders, which is one of the reasons they got swept by Boston. They couldn't stop anybody. And who Boston also beat was missing their second high-level all-star caliber scorer in Chris Middleton. In the West, Phoenix and Golden State are the two teams that seem to have the roster construction to meet this model the best. But for three games in the Western Conference semis, Chris Paul just forgot how to play basketball. And they got upset by a Mavs team that they seemed to be better than and were better than all year long. The Mavs, on the other hand, were a team that was never really a serious title contender because they didn't have a high-level second score, and that's no disrespect to Jalen Brunson, whom I love. And they had no impact defensive players. It's a lot like the Hawks last year. They essentially were the 2021 Hawks. That's what this year's Mavs were. The 76ers were another team that met the criteria on paper to be championship contenders. Elite defender in Joel Embiid, elite defender Matisse Tybel, two high-level all-star level scorers in Joel Embiid and James Harden, and a borderline one in Tobias Harris. And that's why for them, it's even more maddening to see James Harden just absolutely fold in the playoffs the way he did this year because they had the pieces in place to be a championship caliber team. And even if you look at a team like the Bulls, they had the proper DNA to make a deep playoff run before Injuries destroyed their season. Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball were both playing defense at an All-NBA level before they got hurt. And Zach Levine put together another All-Star caliber year where he was really good and efficient on offense. And DeMar DeRozan returned to All-NBA form. And then you have another team like the Memphis Grizzlies, who had one really high-level elite All-NBA player in John Morant. 
a high-level defender in Jaron Jackson Jr., but didn't have that consistent all-star caliber second score. And so, again, putting all this together, it paints a picture of where the Hawks need to go moving forward to construct a real title contender. If you don't have two all-star level scores and or an elite all-NBA level defender, your ceiling, essentially, is the conference finals. And that's assuming that your all-NBA player has just got transcendent talent like a Luka Doncic or Trey Young or Nikola Jokic or Damian Lillard. Also guys who carried teams that really didn't have a whole lot else to the conference finals. So let's circle this back around to the Hawks. What are they missing? First, they're missing a second all-star level score. Bogdan Bogdanovich shows flashes of it, but he hasn't been healthy enough to do it consistently. We remember during the second half of 2021, once he got back from a knee injury, he played in an all-star level for about six weeks before the playoffs started, and he got banged up again, and he was phenomenal. And off the bench this year, he gives you games where he looks like an absolutely all-star level shooter, but it's not consistent. He hasn't stayed healthy, and he's an absolutely heinous defender. Awful, awful defender Bogdanovich was this year. Big regression on that end of the floor. No one else on the team is really even close to providing that kind of scoring spark. That's the appeal, if you're the Hawks, of adding like a Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or one of these other stars the Hawks are rumored to be sniffing around. Right now, two all-star level scores is shown to be more valuable than four to five guys that average 11 to 15 points but could give you 20 on any given night. That sounds good on paper, but it's proven that the two guys that are guaranteed to get you 20 every night, plus a handful of role players that can hit open shots, is a better formula. I didn't want to believe it, but look at round. Look at what we just said. That's the model that's worked. And the problem here is twofold. One, you have to find a guy that can play off the ball because Trey Young is a high-usage ball-dominant guard whose best skill is his passing. So yes, Trey is a good shooter, Trey is a good scorer, and Trey would probably be good in a spot-up role, but, but then you're asking one of the best passers in the NBA to give the ball up, which in the long run isn't going to be smart. So a Levine or a Beal could work because both are good spot-up shooters and can play off the ball. In the case of Bradley Beal, he's a good passer. But Donovan Mitchell and Kyrie Irving are high-usage ISO scores. That's a fit that just doesn't work. The second issue is that the guys that you can get, like the ones we just mentioned, aren't good on both ends. So even if you get one, you still got to go find someone to cover part two of the equation, and that's finding an elite defender. Clint Cabela is very good, but he's not on the same level as a Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid simply because of size. Those guys are over seven feet tall. They're 260 plus pounds. They can bang with the bigger centers. And he's not as good as smaller centers like Adebayo or Robert Williams because he can't move like Adebayo and he can't jump like Robert Williams. Adebayo is one of the most agile big men in the NBA. He's a switch nightmare on defense. We saw firsthand as Hawks fans in the Miami Heat series. So the Hawks have, you know, three above average defenders in DeLon Wright, Clint Capella, and DeAndre Hunter. And they're average to bad on defense at every other position. And out of the Hawks roster, Hunter and Okongu probably are the only two that have the potential to be really elite defenders. Again, Capella is good, but he is what he is at whatever he is, 27, 28 years old. He's not going to get a lot better. But 
with Hunter and Okongwu, they haven't been healthy enough or consistent enough to reach that potential. But I do think it's possible with both of them that they could become like high-level All-NBA defenders, especially Okongwu, with his mobility and his leaping ability and his physicality, could become you know a poor man's bam out of Bayou on the defensive end. But this is why you took two big swings in the 2019 draft with Reddish and Hunter. You took two guys that projected to be elite defenders and crossed your fingers and prayed that one of them might turn into that two-way wing that every NBA team wants. I've said that I think a great comp for DeAndre Hunter is Chris Milton. I still think that's a good comp, but he is nowhere close to that ceiling right now. You got a glimpse of it in that last game against Miami as he had, what, a 35-point game and just absolutely dominated the second half and fourth quarter of that game. But we don't get that enough for him. And the question is, is he ever going to be healthy enough for us to see that on a consistent basis? I don't know. So, can the Hawks get both these in one offseason? It's possible, but it would probably require them to gut a significant portion of their roster and to bring back the kind of contracts that these good players have, you're probably going to be a luxury tax team. I think that the most likely option is to try and acquire that second big offensive piece, be that a Zach Levine, Bradley Beal, et cetera, et cetera, and give it one more year to see if Hunter or Kongo can turn to that defensive anchor you need to contend. But what I do know is that right now, the Hawks, as constructed, the Hawks are capped at a team that can make the second round of the playoffs and maybe the conference finals if Trey plays really well. That's their ceiling. They just don't have the infrastructure that we see from these championship contenders. So here's my question to you. What route do you want to see the Hawks take? Go gut the roster and try to sign the two big pieces and fill it in with vet minimum players and draft picks and see if you can run them from there? Or do you want them to add the second big offensive piece, try to keep a little bit of depth on the bench, and see if Hunter or Kongwu can give you that really locked down defender that you need to be a contender? Let me know what you think. This is David Thay for the Title Run Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.